Hosea is a powerful love story of a God who loves us when we betray him, when we break his heart, when we wander from him, when we ignore him. I think many people, when you think of the Old Testament, they think of a God who's angry. I hope we'll turn that around this morning. A God who abandons us. I hope you'll see something different. When many people think of religion, they think of religion as something where, oh, oh religion, sure, I try and keep the Ten Commandments. I try and do the right thing. I, I go to church on Sunday, or I used to 20 years ago. But the message of Hosea is about a God who says that really wrongdoing is just a symptom of a much deeper, bigger problem. I have a deep longing love for you. Deep. And when we lie or gossip or, or, or cheat or, or break certain rules, it's actually a reflection of a, a deeper trust that is broken between us and God. I mean, think about when you, an employee lies, it's not just that they broke a rule, the lie rule. It's that you felt like your trust was violated, that you, you thought you were friends and coworkers. When your teenagers seemingly don't ever want to hang out with you except to use you as an ATM machine, you understand a degree of that, but there's a trust that's broken. Am I nothing more than an ATM machine? You rearrange your schedule to go and take care of your parents or maybe visit them in the nursing home or, or help them with a to-do list. And as you come over, the whole time they spend the time criticizing that you don't come off more often rather than seeing all of the things you juggle to be there. It's not just the complaining's an issue. It's that there's a deeper woundedness that occurs. In the book of Hosea, we see this level of trust through God working through a man named Hosea in a very, very powerful way. What he says as he begins is he says, I want you to understand, I'm going to come to a man, and this man's name is Hosea. And Hosea is a prophet, and he is asked by God to marry someone, to marry a woman named Gomer. And he says, I want you to marry her, and I want you to love her, but I want you to know that it is going to break your heart what's going to happen. And I want you to do this because I want you to be a, a visual aid, a living example of something that I want my people to understand about me. What is that thing? What are you trying to communicate? I want you to know that when my people ignore me, when my people don't prioritize me, it's not just that they break my commandments. It's that they're breaking my heart. And you think it's all about the commandments. It's not about the commandments. I want you to understand that when you violate what I'm asking, it's really a breaking of my heart. And I want you to be a living example of communicating my heart to my people. That's what this journey you're going to go on is. And it's going to be a difficult one. But the, the central theme I want you to understand is I want you to tell the people over and over again, it's not that they're breaking my commandments, it's that they're breaking my heart, the heart of a friend and a lover who wants to be in a prioritized relationship together. And Hosea, the reason I'm going to ask you to go through this is because I want you to understand unconditional love, the love I have for my people. So he begins, he says, I want you to, to understand unconditional love. In order to do that, I'm going to do this in the most unconventional way possible. In fact, it's so unconventional that it's going to be shocking. So shocking, in fact, because I'm going to ask you to marry a woman, and the woman's name is Gomer. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And she is going to be a woman from the red light district. The red light district woman that you're going to marry, and i got to tell you, she's a woman of harlotry. And she is, though you're going to love her well, you're going to be faithful to her, she is not going to be faithful to you. Oh, God, why would you put me through this? 
Because I want you, when you tell my people how I feel toward them, I want you to be able to communicate that from a place of brokenness. That you're going to beg my people not to keep a bunch of rules, but to help them understand they've broken my heart. And the reason marriage becomes a metaphor in the book of Hosea is because marriage, marriage communicates something. Number one, priority, right? When your marriage is doing well, everything else can be falling apart. And you say, but we're going to make it. And the contrast to that is when... Your marriage is not doing well and everything else is doing well. All you're thinking about all day long is that fight you had, that disagreement you had, that, oh, my goodness, we're going through a winter here. Are we going to make it? And God uses this marriage metaphor, and specifically in this circumstance, because he wants you to know that he wants to be your priority and not for you to go off and have other priorities, people that you're loving outside of this. God doesn't want to be our vitamin supplement He doesn't want to be our crisis counselor. He doesn't want to be the spare tire that we think of when we have an accident. He wants to be that relational commitment that we have day in and day out. If you've been to a wedding, or you remember your own, there's nothing like seeing the eyes of that groom as his bride is coming down the aisle. I did a couple weddings recently. And it reminded me of my wedding. When my wife came down the aisle, and in that moment you want to sweep her off her feet, you want to lay down your life for her, You're committed for life. And in my case, you know, I wept like a baby and it was embarrassing and people made fun of me. There's something so beautiful about love and as a as a man to commit and say, this is the moment I will die for this woman. And God uses that imagery because that's how he feels toward you. He wants to sweep you off your feet. He wants to prioritize you and you to prioritize him. He was willing to die for you. You mean that much to him. However, just as God predicted, she is from the red light district. She does end up cheating on him again and again and again. So much so that just just after they're married, she goes off and she gets pregnant. And as she gets pregnant, God basically says, unfortunately, for you to understand my heart, you're going to also have to understand not just unconditional love, but you're going to have to understand deep, deep, deep betrayal. And so what happens is that When Gomer runs off, she runs off and she gets pregnant. And now she comes home and she's pregnant. But it's not Hosea's child. It's one of her lover's child. And the first child's name is Jezreel, which literally means you will reap mightily. It's God warning his people. And it's Hosea warning his wife, I'm going to take this child in that's not mine. I'm going to love this child. But honey, if you keep doing this, you're going to Jezreel. You're going to reap mightily. The chaos you're putting into our life, the chaos you're putting into our family, the chaos you're putting into our kid's life. She goes off and does it again, despite his love. She comes back pregnant again with a second child. This child's name is Lou Rohamama. Lou Rohamama, low meaning no, Rohamama meaning mercy or compassion. And he's like, do you have no compassion for me that, that after I have loved you and been faithful to you that you would continue to do this to me? And so their second child is named because of the betrayal and the pain that's brought into their life. And, and it's no compassion or no mercy. Honey, I want to be in a relationship with you, but you, you keep running off. You keep running away from me. You're, you're not wanting the kind of committed relationship that, that, that I want from you. So he, Hosea takes in the second child, Lohamama, and though he has not experienced mercy, he says, I will take him into my family. And then she runs off again and has a third child by presumably another lover. And this third one is given the name Lorami, 
Lo again meaning no, Ami meaning people. And this third child, and imagine the chaos in this family. Because Hosea is trying to hold it together. Hosea is trying to do right by his wife. He's trying to beg her, woo her, plead with her. Come on, I want to be with you. Why don't you want to be with me? And this child's name is Loami, which is a way of whether it's Hosea or whether it was Gomer saying, I want you to know this is not his child. And these three children that Hosea adopts put a level of betrayal into his life that is so deep. For one thing, he's a prophet of God. What kind of a prophet has a wife who sleeps around on him? Two, imagine the people running through the streets. Ha <laughs> ha, I slept with the prophet's wife. Ha ha ha. And if you've ever been through betrayal, and I know many of you have, or you know family members who have, it's not just the betrayal, it's the humiliation, it's the who knows, it's that I've been made a fool of. It's all these emotions. And in Hosea's case, it doesn't happen once, it doesn't happen twice, it doesn't happen three times, it just keeps happening. And the level of woundedness, the level of broken hearts, and I think that's why God uses this idea, is because he says, unlike a king and a, a servant, unlike a shepherd and a sheep, there is a level of betrayal and hurt that occurs when you're unfaithful. There is nothing else like it. And that is how I feel when you prioritize things over me, when I've given everything for you. Well, Gomer continues, and after Hosea continues to love her in the midst of this, she takes all the food all the wine, all the rings, all the things that he bought and provided for her, and she basically pawns them off. Everything that meant so much to him that he would give to her, that he would love her with, and she basically takes all the things he provided for her, and he uses it, pawns it off to provide her way to go back to her pimps, to her red light district, and to the old world. And again, his heart is broken. And God comes to Hosea and he says, I want you to contend or wrestle with or fight for your marriage. I know it doesn't feel like you should. It doesn't feel like you want to. But I want you to contend or wrestle or fight or stay in the battle in the midst of this. Now, I want you to bring charges against her. I want you to confront her and say, what you're doing is wrong. Stop playing the harlot. I don't want to be your master. I want to be your husband. You've taken the things I gave you and you're using them to subsidize your rebellion. Yeah, but she doesn't listen. She says, I will go after my lovers. I'll go after my lovers who provide me oil and wine. And he's like, yeah, I gave you all those things and you used them to cheat on me and to wound me and to hurt me so deeply. She says, I will go after my lovers. For they're the ones that provide for me. And he says, oh, that I long, I long, Gomer, that you would say, oh, that I will return to my first husband, for it was better with him than I am now. For he loved me. These people use me. That's what I'm longing for. That's what I'm hoping for. See, rather than the good-bad metaphor, we think to ourselves, oh, I guess I've done some bad things. I guess I've done some good things. God says, when you prioritize something, the central thing in your life, as more important than him, 
It's just like a marriage having another lover. When you say making money is the thing I focus my life on, and God is somewhere in the vitamin supplement category. He's in there, but just low. You're cheating on God. When you say my role as a mom or as a dad is the most important thing in my life. You've made that your lover. You've made that your God. That's where you find your comfort. That's where you find your identity. That's where you find your purpose. When having children or, or, or a political cause, when anything in life, even good things, you make more important. You say, this provides my wine. This provides my oil. This provides my sustenance. And God, th- thanks for being in the building. God says, I don't want to be in the building. I want to be your priority. Because I'll prioritize you. And God feels like you have taken all the good gifts and talents and opportunities you've given him. And you've used them to subsidize your rebellion by prioritizing something over him. Remember when I was in uh, Atlanta, I was on a a day of prayer and journaling. And I used to do that every month. And while I was on that trip one day, I was reading in a, a message translation of the Bible in the book of Romans. And there's a verse in there that says, God is not pleased at being ignored. I stopped, and I was like, God is not pleased at being ignored. I said, you know, that's really what I do. It's not so much that I'm going out murdering people. Not so much. It's more like I just ignore him. Like God's in the room, but I'm not talking to him. And and if you've been to a season like that in your marriage, you know how painful it is to be present and not want something to be present with you. And God says, I'm trying to be present with you, have a friendship with you, have a relationship with you. And it seems like you don't want to have a relationship with me. And I feel so deeply wounded by that. And what you're doing wrong is a symptom of a greater problem is that we're not making each other a priority. So what do you do if you're Hosea? What do you do if your wife has taken or your spouse has taken all of the things you provide and use them to subsidize this new lifestyle? Well, God gives a powerful, powerful verse. He says, I want you to know that this isn't necessarily marriage advice this book is not about. It's about how God feels toward you. That's the main thing Hosea wants us to hear. And God says to Hosea, I want you to tell the people that even though they, my people, act just like your wife is, that when they are faithless, I will still be faithful. And I want you to go to this woman who has broken your heart again and again and again and again And I want you to say to her, if you'll have me, I will marry you again. And in that day that you return, in that day that you want to prioritize me the way I prioritize you, I want to betroth you to me in faithfulness. I want to marry you forever. Will you? God is getting down on one knee and saying, will you marry me forever? No longer will you call me master boss relationship, king relationship, but you'll call me husband. Why? Because I want you to know that I am the Lord, that we can be betrothed together in faithfulness forever. Despite the pain, despite the humiliation, despite the constant wounding you've done to me, I still want to marry you Forever. Wow. Tony Compello tells a story about walking into a cafeteria, sort of old Mel's Dimer type place, about two in the morning. There was a woman there who was a prostitute sitting by herself, and he went over and sat with her. 
just to say hi. And as they were talking together, they began to talk about faith. And he told her that she, he was a pastor. And she said, I'm not really into religion. I know that, you know, religion and church and things like that don't have any place for somebody like me in my line of work. So well, tell me, uh, what, what, tell me about yourself. She told about her story. And as I began talking for a while, she found out that it was her birthday. At two in the morning, she was at a diner at two in the morning all by herself. He says, you wait right here. He went scounging around the street and he went and he found a birthday cake. He brought it back, put it, grabbed the, the chef and grabbed the few people that were there at the diner and they came out and they sang her happy birthday. And with tears rolling down her eyes, she said, I can't tell you the last time somebody sang happy birthday to me. I felt so worthless and, and used. She said, tell me again about what is Jesus and the faith you talked about as a pastor of? He said, here's all you got to know. The faith... I teach, the Bible I read is the kind of faith that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. She said, I want to know a God like that. And that's really what God's saying in the book of Hosea. He's saying, I want to marry you forever. I, you haven't prioritized me. Money, looks, political cause, status. You've made everything more important than me. And I want you to know, despite living 20, 30, 40 years doing that, I still want to marry you forever. And you know all those gifts that you thought you were giving from your lovers, the, the, the recognition, the money, the, the stuff that came from those other things you have prioritized? If you will reprioritize me, if you will commit to me, I want you to know that I want to open up heavens and give you some gifts. And, and here's some of the gifts I want to give you. Number one. I want you to know that in that day, I'm going to answer from the heavens. I'm going to answer from the heavens because there's been a famine going on in the land because you have not had the provision of water. I'm going to rain down blessings and you're going to have crops like you've never had before. And that's going to be the gift because remember their son's name was Jezreel. You will reap mightily and I've been going through famine. If you will recommit to me, you will reap mightily again. You will reap the blessings of, of the thunder and the lightning as I provide for all of the crops that you need. And we can rebuild this thing. We can refix this thing. Two, I'm going to provide oil and wine for you. New wine, in fact. All that oil and wine that you've been chasing after, I want you to know that I'm going to provide you the best kind of wine. In fact, Jesus will show up in the New Testament and he'll call himself the bridegroom. And he will make the best wine for a wedding party, saying, I want you to know that I'm going to provide you the best wine and the best crops and the best oil. And remember, the woman's name was Lo Rahamama. You shall not receive mercy. I'm going to give you mercy again. I'm going to give you compassion again. We're going to be together again if you will commit to me. And then, you remember the third son, Loami? You're not my people? Oh my goodness, no. Things are going to change. Things are going to be so different. Because if you will come back to me, if you will respond to my wooing, if you will recommit to me and renew your vows to me, you who are not my people will be my people. And you will say, you are my God. And I will say, you are my people. We are back in relationship together. But, she still doesn't respond. Despite the marriage proposal, despite the offer, she still doesn't respond. In fact, she runs off again. And God turns to Hosea and says, Hosea, go again. Go again to a woman who has been a harlot and love her the same way I love my people. In order to do that, I want you to buy her out of slavery. At this point, she's been gone long enough that her pimp has sold her into slavery. 
and used her up enough that one of her lovers, which the text seems to imply was her pimp at that point, decides she no longer has any value to him. And God says, I want you to go again to a woman loved by another man, loved by other lovers. And just like the love of God between God and Israel, my people have given themselves over to the raisin cakes. And those were the, the delicacies of the other gods, the gods of the Baal. They've given themselves over lovers in the same way that your wife has given herself over to these other lovers. And I want you to go and I want you to buy her out of bondage. And that's what he does. Now, if you look at the history records of this time in history, what was going on in Israel, what was going on during that time, it's actually really tragic. Because this was a time that when a person was sold into sex trade, especially when they weren't considered valuable anymore, they would be put up on the block, stripped completely naked, and auctioned off. And apparently this lover, this pimp, thought she was worth nothing anymore. And he said, I can't make any money off her anymore. At least I may be able to sell her off just as, not for her services, but just to get my money back. Can you imagine Gomer standing there, probably with her eyes closed, trying to regain any amount of dignity she might have as she's hearing people low bid what she might be worth in all of her shame and all of her nakedness. And in that moment, she hears the voice, the voice of her husband, who's come to the auction. And he bids her at 15 pieces of silver, a high price. He says, come home with me. Come home with me. I have, you were mine and I lost you and I lost you and I've come and now I have bought you. There's a financial cost. There's a humiliation cost. If he walks back with his wife, imagine, you fool. You're bringing her back again? What an idiot. Haven't you learned your lesson? As he brings her back, he gives this unbelievable talk to her. He says, I want to be your husband. I want you to put away the harlotries. And I want you to know that I want you to not be with a man... And I'm also going to be the same way. I didn't buy you to get sex from you. We need to take some time to work through the psychological damage of all we've done to each other. And then, after that time, I want to prioritize you, you prioritize me, and let's reconnect in a physically intimate way. But I don't want you to think, you spent your whole life thinking people use you for, for your body. I, I, I'm here to tell you that I love you and I want a relationship with you. So let's unpack all the junk that's happened. Let's work through that for a time. Let's be celibate for a time while we work out how we've damaged each other. And then, stay with me during that time, in those days. Don't play the harlot anymore. Don't keep prioritizing other things. Nor shall you have a man. I too will be towards you. I too will take this time as we commit to rebuilding what we had. Hosea, I want you to buy her out of bondage. But you also don't need to subsidize her rebellion. I remember I did a verse-by-verse series on Hosea about ten years ago. And I had a mom who had a daughter who was in a real time of rebellion. And that principle really struck her. Buy her out of bondage, but don't subsidize her rebellion. You don't 
need to keep providing money for a child who has an addiction. You don't need to keep providing money for somebody who has destructive habits. It is actually a very loving thing to remove and not subsidize the rebellion of somebody. While at the same time, you say, when you're ready, you're welcome home. I'm not going to pay for you to do destructive things, but when you're ready, I will buy you back and bring you back to a place of health that we can walk together as a family. We can walk together as a marriage toward a very healthy place. Well, now, by this time, we're in chapter five and there's still five chapters to go. But I'm going to summarize those because the heart of this story was in what we just discovered. Why would God make Hosea go through this? Why would he make him experience this? Well, in chapter six, he says, because I want you, Hosea, to know my heart. You see, my people in Israel, I want you to go and I want you to talk to them. I want you to speak to them. I want you to communicate my message. But see. If you hadn't gone through this experience, you might be going out there and saying, oh, you, we broke some of God's commandments. We need to sort of you know, step it up a bit in, a, in the commandment category. I want you to instead turn to my people and as a scorned, hurt, abused, painful lover, I want you to say to them, oh, my goodness, I want to communicate God's heart. And let me tell you God's heart. God's heart is that he wants you back. He wants you to stop cheating on him. He wants you to stop prioritizing other things over him. God says, I wanted through this process, Hosea, to do something in you so that you could better understand how I feel toward my people and, and what kind of relationship I want with them. That my arms are open wide, waiting for my people to return. I want to be in a committed relationship with them. And what I did through this process, and I know it was painful, and it's painful for me too, is I wanted you to not only understand how I feel toward the people, but I want you to understand, Hosea, how I feel towards you. Because you too, Hosea, even as a prophet, you have prioritized things in your life over me. And then through this process, what I was hoping to do is to take my broken heart and I want to place it in you. That you would be able to love a wife with a love you didn't have. Because it only comes from me. And then in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, when you were preaching to the people and compelling the people, what you would say to them is, God wants your heart. And let me tell you what it feels like to be scorned and betrayed. And also, let me tell you, when I've been scorned and betrayed... God feels that way toward us. But, but here's his invitation. Despite everything we've done, Israel, come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn. Yes, he, he took away some things. He didn't want to subsidize our rebellion. We were stricken. But he will heal us. And he will bind us up. And after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, and notice the third day is important. He will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. And using the metaphor of love and of rain and of washing and of cleaning, that God, like Hosea, bought his wife out of bondage, God would one day come and buy us out of bondage. And on the third day, he would raise us up just like on the third day, he would raise himself up because the ultimate lover and the ultimate friend and the ultimate Hosea and the ultimate expression of this will come in Jesus who came to earth because we prioritized everything but God. He died for that betrayal. He died for that deep betrayal and that woundedness that we went, God, what are you complaining about? What's the big deal? I wrote a little check here. 
I don't want a little check here. I don't want to be a vitamin supplement. I want to be in a deep, committed relationship with you. And Jesus came and died to buy us out of bondage, to cover our shame, to tell us that when we thought we were worthless and used by anyone and everyone, that he says, no, no, come with me. Stay with me for a while. Let us rebuild what's happened and let's reestablish trust that we can have an intimate relationship together again. One where we prioritize each other, we exchange gifts with one another, and we do it not of obligation to some weird list, some religious list somewhere, but because that's what people do who love each other. They prioritize each other. So in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, Hosea comes to the people of Israel, and with this new heart of God that's been placed inside of his heart, he says, guys, I got a heart transplant, and maybe you need one too. And this, I think, is what the message of of Hosea is really about, is that God offers to you and I a heart transplant. I had a couple came into my office a few uh, weeks or months ago and said, Chad, we've been through a horrible time uh, of tragedy and miscarriages, and why would God let this happen? I said, I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing God could do through it is you're feeling the loss of a son, and God may want you to know that how he feels to, towards you that he had to lose the loss of a son because he wanted us that bad. And as you mourn and as you weep and as you long and as your heart breaks, God wants you to know that that same broken heart you have toward this child is the same broken heart God has toward you. Instead of the circumstance pushing you away from God, which it naturally would do, this can be a way that you can be drawn near to God and say, I now understand how God feels toward me. We need a heart transplant. And here's what's ironic about the story. See, if you walk away from the story and go, thank goodness I'm not like Gomer. Thank goodness I'm not that kind of person who would do that kind of thing. Then you've totally missed the point. Because in the chapter 7 to 11, Hosea holds up a mirror and says to you and I, you are Gomer. You have ignored God. You have prioritized everything and anything in your life over wherever God is on the priority list. Don't feel self-righteous that you're not like Gomer. You missed the message. You are Gomer. And God is Hosea. And to let that conviction sit. Let it crumble your self-righteousness. Let it crumble your, I've got my act together. Let it crumble the, look at, I'm a great example. Oh, it deeply, deeply humbles you as God calls you a prostitute. And then, it elevates you in a way that no good work or no good deed or no religion, no philosophy could. It says, and as humble as you are, look in the mirror. I can purify you. I can revive you. I can buy you. I can accept you. I want to marry you forever. And if you're in a relationship right now that you have made mistakes in the past, and you go, oh my goodness, if people knew what's going on, they, they would say, I don't belong here in this church. God says, oh yes, you do. You're sitting next to a whole bunch of gomers. We just have different flavors of unfaithfulness. And God can cover your shame, and he can forgive you of what you've done wrong, and he can say, let's start again. Let's revive again. Come stay with me. Walk with me. Let's fix this. I love to step into messy, sticky, screwed up situations because I can walk you from where you are to where you need to be. You just need a heart transplant. If your heart has grown, grown cold in your marriage, 
You say, God, I don't know if my marriage is going to continue. You say, God, I need a heart transplant. I need your heart put in here so that I can revive my marriage again. If you have had your heart betrayed, for you to say, God, I need your heart. I want to set some appropriate boundaries. I don't want to subsidize rebellion. But, God, I also want to say, if there's a chance, God, that you could, could bring back to life something that's dead, Father, put that heart in me. But most of what God wants you to know is that's how his heart feels toward you. That no matter what you've done or will do, he pursues and pursues and pursues and pursues and pursues. He is relentlessly committed to finding you, which is why Jesus shows up and he uses the metaphor over and over again. I am the bridegroom. And immediately folks went, Jesus isn't the bridegroom. God's the bridegroom. That's the book of Hosea. He says, I'm God. I am that bridegroom. Why don't your disciples fast? Why would they fast while the bridegroom is with them? For the ultimate bridegroom came to earth to buy us off the block, to walk us down the aisle. And the very end of the book of the Bible and Revelation, you know, the metaphor that's used is a wedding feast. That God has prepared us as his people to be in an ultimate committed relationship to be in a wedding relationship with him. What does that feel like? What does it look like to experience unconditional love from God to a spouse, to a child, to a prodigal son? Let's go back and watch that video one more time of what it looks like to love someone who continued to break your heart. Let's pray together. And maybe you want to let the mirror be held up to you a bit and admit to God a way you prioritize something over Him. Just say that honestly, God, in your own heart. God, forgive me. Forgive me for breaking your heart. Forgive me for not putting you even on the to-do list, let alone toward the top. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for chasing me. Thank you for being the man I always wanted to be. God, wash me with those rains that you promised that I would know I am clean. I accept your wedding proposal, Father. I want to be in a committed, long-term, faithful relationship with you. That we're vulnerable with each other, that we're open with each other. And I accept your gift of grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As you leave today, I just want to give you one little takeaway. Is Like I said, we began this series 13 years ago. And if you're interested in going, wow, I love this idea of understanding a whole book of the Bible in 30 minutes. If you go to our website, horizoncc.com, and if you click on that website, go ahead and put that up on the screen if you would, um, horizoncc.com, and you click on media downloads, which is up in the top corner, the media center will open. If you type in the word book by book, you will get like 40 messages, you know, 30 minutes on Genesis, 30 minutes on Exodus, 30 minutes on 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. I just did one on Titus two weeks ago. So if, you, if you've enjoyed this process of going, wow, I just didn't really know what the book was about, we're going to cover six books in this series, Habakkuk's next week, How to Wrestle with God. Each week, we'll take 30 minutes and summarize the book of the Bible. 
Uh, if you're new to the Bible, we have a series called Fast Track Bible. You can get that as well, both on CD, go through the whole Bible in eight weeks. But this is a chance to take it to the next level. What if I could get a whole book of the Bible in 30 minutes and really understand the main story? So again, thanks for being here for our series. If you came prepared to give financially, there's some offering boxes on the way out as you go out the door. If you're new to the church, we'd love to say hi. Put a name with a face. Third door on your left is the hearth room. We'll see you again next week for Book by Book, Habakkuk.